Welcome to Making Bread, Making Money in the Modern Age. Now, here's your host, Matt Barkley. Welcome back to Making Bread, where we talk about all the new ways to make money using the technology of 2022. I'm your host, NFL quarterback, Matt Barkley. My guest today has been very, very successful in both making money and making a difference. I mean, not many people can say that they were selected to the Forbes 30 under 30 list and also worked in development and poverty alleviation in Africa. It's amazing. But James Bashara can make that claim. He's an investor, advisor, author, podcast host. The list goes on and on and on. So I'm excited to pick his brain. Love that you're here, James. What is up, man? Thanks for having me, Matt. This is, this is going to be fun. I saw your first episode and it's... Uh... That was great. So I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I love surrounding myself with people that are much, much, much smarter than myself. And you are one of those people. We have a few mutual friends, and I'm glad the connection was made a while back. But again, you have an unbelievable track record as an investor that speaks for itself, which we'll dive into in a little bit. But you're living in California now after migrating from Texas. It kind of seems like People are doing it the other way around now. What What's keeping you around? Well, there's two perspectives that I have on. I, we live here in Santa Monica, right by the beach, and we love it. I love to surf. So one perspective on it is just, it is, it's kind of like once you catch that first wave in surfing, or once you live by the ocean for a little bit, it is so hard to ever do anything different because it is just, I don't know, mind, body, soul. It's so, it's so great for all of them. And then two is definitely expensive. And so it's everyone that's going back to Texas or going to Texas for the first time or just going somewhere cheaper. It, it makes sense. I think it, my other perspective on it is just like, if you can find a great spot, a great corner, it is like the four seasons. It's really, really nice in California, but it ain't cheap. But that's not no, really. You pay that weather tax. Yeah, exactly. The weather tax. But it's not really a good example to be like, hey, Four Seasons is it's expensive. So only spend time in the Holiday Inn. I'm sure as, an, as an, an investor too, the amount of deal flow in California. I mean, I know you spent time in the Bay Area as well, but yeah, a lot is going on where you kind of do need to be around that scene, right? Yeah, that's that's probably the underlying there's a great term that Brian Eno came up with. He's a music producer, a musician. He's called it genius. And it's his viewpoint was that genius is only formed in a network of other intelligent individuals. And, and it is through that network that it gets formed. Bob Dylan would not be Bob Dylan if he stayed in Duluth, Minnesota. He had to go to Bleecker Street and interact and chum it up, learn from, get criticized by all of the good, all of the bad of being in that scene. And I think that's certainly similar for startup building and and startup investing to a good degree. No doubt. I, I will say though, whenever I get off the airplane in whether it's LAX or down in Orange County and smelling that sweet, salty air, there's just something about it. Like you're saying, it's it's hard to beat. Well speaking of that ocean air and the beautiful waters of the pacific ocean let's get into our next segment we call whale Whale watching nice great segue great segue headlines around the news whale watching and uh 
Uh, we got some interesting, interesting headlines. Amazon workers at a New York warehouse have voted to unionize. It's the first union formed by Amazon workers anywhere in the world. So as an investor, I got to ask you, how would news like this affect your decision to put money into Amazon? I, I think they are going to be a formidable force for the next 20 years. I think Amazon is honestly building a $20 trillion company. And yeah. Twenty trillion. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and as crazy as it would have been to to say a trillion dollar company five years ago, much less ten years ago. Correct. In ten years, I think they're going to be a twenty trillion dollar company. That's twenty x growth in ten years from obviously a very mature company. So I think that that's, I think they've laid all that groundwork. But when when employees see their employer as adversary, and that's typically what happens, even with the best intentions of unions, it's typically a really really different type of working environment. And I don't know if that's going to be a, a very healthy thing beyond this, the momentum of the last three decades carrying them through this one. I don't know if if that ends up becoming a pretty big headwind internally a decade from now. Yeah, definitely something to keep our eyes on as that forms. According to Bloomberg, Sam Bankman-Fried, a 30-year-old who founded the crypto exchange FTX, is on a mission to give away his money, although he keeps making it at a high, high rate. That makes it hard to go broke. If you suddenly had a billion dollars to give away, where would you send it? What a problem to have. <laughs> but that's a great question. And I rarely get to talk about on, on business things. I rarely get to talk about a very, a very important part of my personal life, but that's within two areas, mental health, and then also within this ancient Indian philosophy called Vedanta that I study every morning. It's the source of nearly all Eastern philosophy, five, six, 7,000 years old. We don't really know how old it is. And that, mm. that philosophy, I would basically start a massive, amazing surf and yoga ranch somewhere and give it all the way there and make it free for people to be able to attend. I'm sure you could create the biggest waves with a billion dollars. And just surf the perfect wave nonstop. You mentioned the podcast <laughs> in the intro, and I do have a podcast dedicated to the inner journey of creating and what happens between the ears when you set out to create a podcast, create a company. As an artist, as a musician, it doesn't really matter what you create, but we all have, when you do it and you go from like the first or second row of, of the spectator seats to you on the field, it is so wildly different that for those that do make the leap to actually put themselves in the in the arena and the on the field managing our psychology is i'd love to ask you like how you learn to manage your your psychology to become a winner on on such a crazy scale because i imagine you probably since you're 10 11 12 would look around and you'd say like man that attitude is like doesn't matter the talent that's going to take them down. That attitude's yeah. going to take them down. Correct. So what I love about this this and I the, my podcast called Below the Line is is dedicated to asking leaders, founders, creators, researchers about what they've learned to optimize that that inner side of of the journey. But I'd love to. I know that we're in the middle of whale watchers, but I would it, <laughs> could I ask you like, did you if that's accurate? Could you just see people's mentality and be like? God, they are effed. 100%. I mean, we could probably 
launch a whole new series dedicated just to that mental aspect of, I guess, elite performance, because it really does make all the difference. And you see all the talent in the world, and you're just heartbroken knowing that it was wasted because you know they weren't in the right mental frame of mind, or they didn't push themselves the way they could have, and it makes a big difference. So, yeah. Yeah. The two areas that I would donate would be one is towards mental health and the aspects of mental health that make us ill. And I've dealt with depression in my life. My family, is, I had a sister pass away from taking her own life when I was 15 and have just 20 years of direct and indirect relationships with mental illness. But then that aspect of mental health in my mind would be coupled with the other side, mental wealth, where it isn't about just approaching like physical health. We don't just think about physical health when we're sick. Right. We invest in it like we invest in our finances, our career, a skill. I th- think there's a fair amount of progress to be made for us as humans to invest in our mental wealth when things are seemingly okay, rather than only thinking about it when things go south. So yes, I could I could find a way to give away a billion dollars, I think. There you go. I love that. Well, this next headline is a little more lighthearted. I'll tell you this, more than 100 plaintiffs are listed in a class action lawsuit against Burger King, all right, alleging that the pictures of sandwiches on the ads are bigger than the sandwiches that they actually sell. So if you were a juror in this case, which side are you ruling in favor of? (laughs) I would rule in favor of Subway and try to send the signal to humanity to... uh, to invest in their common sense. <laughs> you don't need an actual pound burger. You're fine with whatever you're, you're given. Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, sorry, Burger King, not Subway. Yeah, the uh well, if it is if it is a reduction in the actual advertising, I thought you would literally meant like someone suing because they saw photos and they're like, I thought it was gonna be huge. Or is it on the actual like it said a pound and then once it's cooked, it's you know, three quarters of a pound. The details remain unclear, but if, <laughs> okay, we, well. if, we dig, if we dig in, it might be size, it might be appetite related. There could be a whole host of other issues. <laughs> okay. As a, as a juror, as a sane and deliberate juror, I would need, I would need more evidence and more info before I make All the, the facts. That is wild. And if it is on the former that you're saying that uh, people are soon, because I know... When I lived abroad, people, one of the things that everyone knew about America was how litigious and how many lawsuits happened in America. I actually had no idea that that part of our reputation preceded us so much, but that would be an all-time low if people were suing Burger King because of uh, images making the burger feel like, I should be getting a five-foot burger. I saw it on the side of a bus. Five-foot burger. A foot long. It's not actually a foot long. What are we doing? Yeah. All right. In other other headlines, the New York Post has uh, talked to a handful of experts uh, to ask them how the metaverse will affect the collective mental health of society relevant to this discussion. And they seem to be split in their answers. I don't know if, and you're a big metaverse guy like deep into it yet i I know we've had some conversations around the space but i'm i am not but you're big on i am not a metaverse guy at all you're big on mental health so how do you see the metaverse impacting people mentally 
this this might be a whole podcast segment right here. So yeah, if you have a an elevator pitch on what you think it'll look like, thirty second uh, viewpoint is I think it's going to be five hundred years before we scientifically consciously understand what creates an experience, a relationship. I mean, just the olfactory aspect of, like you said, getting off of that airplane at LAX. Yeah. Like there are vibrations in the world, in relationships, there are dynamics, there's incredible speed that happens in interactions that I just think we're going to, it's going to be 500 years before we, we can actually realize, oh, this is how a great friendship is formed. It's not words and like six facial expressions. It's probably 10,000 things that we aren't going to learn about for the next 50 years. So, and it's all going to lead back to, it's not as good as real life. Mm. It's not as good as real life. So I'd rather push us towards something like universal basic income that allows us to be a little bit more, uh, let's say, like uh, stress-wise, life-wise, like a wireless upgrade in that direction, rather than like, let's send everybody to, you know, a device that they put over their head. Yeah. So we'll have to keep an eye on the metaverse and what do you, the mental health what aspect do you think? of it. What do you think? It gives me pause about the future that my kids are going to have. I haven't thought 500 years into the future, like you just said. I'm trying to think of like my kids, you know, every generation is different and we're going to have new challenges as parents that our parents had. And even so, I love how my kids play outside and play baseball and are run around the cul-de-sac and are nonstop energy. And I also see the value that the metaverse has in certain aspects. And so I'm kind of torn in regards to what I want real life to be for myself, for my family but then also seeing the potential that that technology has. So mm. I think with anything, with any new technology or you know medium, you have to be very intentional about how you use that time and how you're also still developing you know, your own personal health. So mm-hmm. we can go, yeah, on and on about that. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's certain people that are the metaverse maximalists of like, it's happening in the next 10 years. I think it's, especially if it's an innovation. It's much longer than that. Yeah. And if it's an innovation led by Facebook, then we should, um, not because I have any positive or negative views of Facebook, but we should uh, take a step back because they also, three years ago, messaging bots was the future of Facebook. Two years ago, right. they had Libra and cryptocurrency. Four years ago, they had planes that were going to deliver internet around the globe. So I I don't really trust their track record. Even Mark's initial innovation in Facebook wasn't even his idea. So I'm always hesitant when it comes to them proclaiming what the future is going to look like. It could be a phase like 3D TV. No one has that anymore. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I know you were an early investor in Halo Top ice cream and you used to live in San Fran. So I think this is right up your alley because Bay Area rapper E40 has launched his own ice cream brand. And it's part of a larger food brand. Yeah, Goon with the Spoon. All right. If you could partner with any musician (laughs) to sell ice cream, who would you pick? All of these are making me so glad I do not read the news. And if I were to partner with any musician for for ice cream, I think it would have to be... Dude, people hate on Coldplay. I love Coldplay. 
So it would be Coldplay and it would be called Ice Coldplay. There's relevance. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite flavor? You know, I'm a huge, I'm actually a vanilla guy, like a really great vanilla. And I don't mind chocolate, but people, everyone sleeps on vanilla. And I'm like, no, give me a really good vanilla. I'm a vanilla guy. We're good. Yeah, I love it. Or Vanilla bean by Ice Coldplay. Yes, vanilla bean or, <laughs> you know, a, really, a cookie dough is also amazing. I think we, we share a lot more in common than we realize. Yeah, there we go. Coldplay. Who hates on Coldplay? Dude, Paul Rudd. And I'll tell you exactly who, Matt. Paul, Paul Rudd, Rudd in <laughs> Knocked Up. Is it Knocked Up or maybe 40-Year-Old Virgin? 40-Year-Old Virgin. In 2008. You're right. Hated on Coldplay. And that's when in the movie, and the movie was like this huge smash hit. So it it really shifted the personal or the the perspective that that people had culturally on, on Coldplay. And in their songs, I could agree that they are a bit Maybe they they sound to some not as I don't know sonically interesting as Tame Impala or some something super hip, but man, it's hard to write a great song, and they have they have easily like nine or Hits. ten great songs, bangers, yeah, bangers, bangers, bangers. Well, mm-hmm. that was it for our whale watching section. So welcome, James. Again, I'm glad that we are doing this. Glad to have you on. And you are very, very well known in the business world. And a proper introduction, I could go on for at least 30 minutes listing off your rap sheet. But for those that don't know, can you give us just a little a little bit about who you are? Sure. I always like to, in, a, in interviews, whenever I'm interviewing folks, I ask them about their childhood. So I'll start there. I'm youngest of five from Dallas, Texas. And then I'll speed it up for listeners, but I, that family life is obviously way more important than anything I've done in the last 15 years. But for the last 15 years, I've been building startups, built a few, I've had some go up, some go down. My last company sold to Airbnb. It was a payments technology company called Tilt. And at Airbnb, that was about five years ago at Airbnb, I, I was able to start investing a little bit more. Nine years ago is when I made my first investment, but five years ago is when I was able to invest in mainly my friends' companies right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And, and so decided to make use of that geolocation. I was investing in a handful of friends' companies. And after two years at Airbnb, when I had gone through the earnout period, left to become an investor full-time and, and still incubating a few businesses here and there. But, but that's probably the important bits and pieces, investor and, and founder. That's a good synopsis. I've seen on your personal website that you you talk about how startup ventures have led to a lot of wins and a lot of losses too. I mean, can you just touch on how important that is to take losses and learn from them? It's, you know, I actually, well, I think that the biggest mistakes I've ever made were actually not in venture capital, which is in seed stage investing. Right. It's very different than than most other investment categories. In fact, your biggest mistakes are usually not by losing money because you can only lose one X your money, but you have the chance to make a thousand X if you make the right choice. And so my biggest mistake is Peter Thiel actually told me this and and it helped codify in my own mind, but he said, he goes, do you want to know my biggest mistake investing? And I thought he was going to mention like somewhere where he made a $50 million bet and it went to zero. He said, my biggest mistake investing was not doing the Facebook Series B. Um, it was at about a $90 million valuation. I thought it was too too expensive. And so I passed on it. 
And he would have made over $2 billion making that investment, a $10 million, $10 million investment. He would have made $2 billion from $10 million. And the lesson there is he could have written 10 $100 million bets that went to zero. And had he just made that one $10 million bet in the right company, and he still would have come out a billion dollars in the money. He still would have made a billion dollars after losing a billion in 10 bad ones. So in seed stage investing, and this this does tie into crypto and Web3 investments, that's the thing I have to watch out for as a seed stage investor is what are the companies that are going to have these 100, 400,000 X potential returns? And how do I make sure I don't miss out on those? Not so much the conventional, my the way I used to think, which is, oh, don't lose money. I mean, that's Warren Buffett's number one rule is do not lose money. And that's actually a pretty terrible rule when you get to the other end of the spectrum with startup investing. One of those deals that took off like a rocket ship for you was Clubhouse in in this last pandemic when everyone was home, audio was king, and it was the perfect perfect space for ideas and all these different rooms to form. What was that whole process like? The process was, I just saw, I wrote an essay on podcasting and how important, influential it has been and will be, basically just saying that it is the most effective communications medium we've ever come up with. Mm. And efficacy being the size of the audience that can hear it and the cost to produce it. So like right now, you and I having this conversation, it's an hour of our time. We don't need to write a book that takes eight months. There's no like extremely painful editing process. You know, you make a book, no traveling. No traveling. Exactly. You you make a book, you uh, you sell it for 20 bucks. People have to pay 20 bucks to buy it after your eight months podcast. It's just all of these things are, are wildly different with a podcast. You can make it, ship it globally instantaneously. Anyone can consume it for free around the globe. It's, it is crazy, crazy how we have created this medium of communication and media. And it also allows for these types of conversations amongst any number right. of a thousand niche conversations that people are diving into each day. So I wrote this post talking about how podcasts are going to be one of the biggest forces in elevating our collective consciousness as a society, just kind of bring us out of the dark ages of four channels controlling a narrative five-minute news segments yeah. on things you might really want to spend three hours. In. No depth. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote that. And then one of the founders of Clubhouse, who's a friend, reached out and said, hey, I want to tell you about what I'm building. And so he uh, told me about what he was building. And what's interesting, Matt, is he was building a company at that time. It was called Talk Show. And it was just an idea. And it actually had nothing to do with what ended up becoming Clubhouse. What I invested in was, going back to your last question of making mistakes or failures, in venture investing, the biggest advice I give to folks is whatever amount you want to put into early stage technology startups, divide it by 10. And you've got to make 10 bets because what you want to maximize is learning and the fact that it's the beginning of what's called portfolio theory. You have to develop a portfolio that can withstand the risk that you're taking on when you're taking, you know, super early stage bets. Yeah. Anyone that invests like two or three companies is doing it so wrong, in my opinion, because the chances that they succeed is, is low. Maybe it's a 10% chance each. 
Not only that, but you're also going to learn so little. And the real win is if you can make 2x your money with nine of the companies going bust, one of them being a 20x investment, you make 2x your money mathematically, but you also get a crap ton of learning. Knowledge, yeah. Yeah, you basically get an MBA and a PhD in startup investing with with 10. Then you can leverage that for the next you know 50 years. And so going back to Clubhouse with with them, I, whenever I make an investment, I, I'm not thinking, what are the, the odds that this, and Mark Andreessen's famous for a quote, he said, the best investors don't think, what are the odds that this succeeds? The best investors think, what does the world look like if it does? You know, if Facebook wins, that's a potential 2000x return. If Paul building, super smart founder building something in the podcasting space that between you and I does not have much innovation happening, it's still basically the same you know, modules of episodes that people have been doing for 10, 15 years, not much innovation is taking place. Right. If someone can innovate in that space and make it easier to discover and create, wow, what does the world look like? That could be a 10, 20, $50 billion company. And Paul is super smart, had built things before. So then I was like, okay, I, I'll write a $50,000 check. And it was just on a Sunday before he was in, he told me the idea on like a Wednesday or Thursday. And that Sunday I was at lunch with my wife and I was just telling her about it. I always become a better investor when I tell her about things that I'm thinking about investing in, telling her about it. And during that lunch, within like seven minutes, 10 minutes of me explaining, I was like, damn, this thing could be huge. Okay, let me call him right now. And I left the lunch right then, called him and said, hey, can I write you a check for $50,000? There you go. And it wasn't necessarily huge in terms of the monetary value. You really did see vision in the impact it could have with conversation, with ideas, with growth, right? Right. I've never calculated my IRR. I've got a great admin that does that, but I've never done it. I've never thought just because it's, it's always in motion and it just doesn't really matter because it's moving so much. Yeah. And it's like taking a picture of the ocean and then figuring out how to surf. And so similarly, I've never thought in the future, what could this be financially? It's just, can I, do I see a wave coming and can I jump on that, that wave somehow get, even get the shoulder of it could be fun. I'm not thinking about like, all right, this might be the ride of my life or I hope this delivers X, Y, or Z. It's just like, okay, this looks like could be, could be a fun one to try to ride. How did that become so important to you? Because, I mean, this podcast is about making money and investing. But, I mean, one thing I love about you is is your vision, like I said, because every idea you have is we can make money and make the world a better place and change lives and impact people. How did you come to that conclusion or where did it really pop and make sense to you? Well, likewise, for, for you, I, I think it's it actually goes a lot back to that mental attitude. Yeah. And I remember when we first met, we were in line at that buffet in the house with a bunch yeah. of other friends. And oh, yeah. there was no, everyone else, you know, there's probably a, a nice thread of certainly great, positive people, but no one was interested in talking about crypto or Web3 except for you. And so- I was. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like in a, in a room where people- see any direction that they could go in in your personal curiosity you're like there's one guy that invests in this full time i'm going to go chat with i would like to chat with him about this 
and you got my, you literally got my number and you're like, let's, I would love to chat about it's, it basically was a recognition that I see something that others don't necessarily see or care about. I mean, it's just, it's how people are wired. Most uh, might not care about this stuff, but it's similar to, you know, you can look out at a hundred sheep and you see like, wow, cashmere, I could, we could turn this into cashmere. Everybody could be warm and we could build a business around this. And most people are like, that's, you know, sheep and someone's probably going to herd them over time. I think that that is probably just how my mind, and if people are listening to this, that their mind works where they see opportunities and see potential. They don't just see what's, what's there or what was there. Right. And I think it goes back to that, that mental attitude. It's definitely a talent that can be, learn through time mm-hmm. and mistakes like you're talking about? Or do you think people have like it when it comes to I think seeing that, I guess? I think people are, we're all born with, thank God, all born with different talents and different perspectives. And yeah. we all have the chance to see things that others don't see. And I think it's just finding where in the world, where in, in your community can you be most useful because you see something that others don't see? It would be great for me to, I right. think it'd be easy for me to say like, oh, it's super learnable. Everybody can can learn this. I think if you're curious, if you're listening to this podcast and you're already curious, you're already wired to be curious in this direction. I don't think it's it's that learnable though. I think like my daughter, that's one and a half. Yeah, she's one and a half now. Since she was about one, when she hears music, her body just moves. She's got rhythm. And maybe you've seen this with your kids. Like it, but my other daughter, that was not the case at all. So like at one out of beat, they can't sing a tune. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other one doesn't care about music, doesn't uh dance when she hears music. The the one-year-old now that's one and a half, just before her face could even consciously understand what's going on, her body is just moving to the music and she's going up and down. So it is uh, really adorable. It's innate. But I think that's an example that. We are wired to to perceive things yeah. more sensitively than others. I think I perceive trends more sensitively than than others, and have since I was little. I mean, I was at thirteen. I wanted to start a record label because I loved finding new bands and and giving them to friends. And, and I was always, you know, making mixtapes to hand out to friends. I was just wired to like see trends. Right. And then give it back to people because I just knew this band is going to be huge. This band is going to be huge. And so I think that that was, I was just attuned to the future in many ways. Whereas someone might be an amazing philosopher or comedian because they're attuned to the present and they're like, this is, this is so absurd. Why we do it this way? Or for athletic ability, they're attuned with their body in a way that's just very unique and leaning into whatever makes us unique and our strengths is, I think is always a way to go rather than saying everything's learnable yeah. and just try to maximize, you know, oftentimes just try to maximize financial rewards by doing the thing yeah. that's going to do that independent of your, your natural wiring. What about web three? Because that's a trend that, you know, has been a hot topic in the investment world. And uh, I mean, a lot of those are pretty speculative at this point. Do you see what you've seen in, in previous wins or, or solid investments, do you see any similarities that Web3 has, you know, the applications that are being built on it? What do you see coming out of that? 
Yeah, I think that's the the conversation is what are the applications being built on it? Because yeah. the internet as a whole is only as valuable as the applications that are built on top of it. And you know, as Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And a lot of this it makes me think about the first tech bubble where it was, I remember my uncle that was a lawyer in Dallas, Texas, in 98, 98, talking about all of these different tech stocks and why they're going to be cool. And I remember just being like, well, how is that? How is that worth $200 billion? Yeah. Like how is Yahoo? How is that worth? I don't understand. And he was just like, oh, but in the future, they're going to, first, they're going to grab the land. Then they're going to till the land and they're going to just have this crazy property and people are investing now in what it's going to be in the future. And I think just history is going to rhyme and that I look at a lot of the things that are launched 99% and I'm like, this is within crypto, within Web3. And I'm like, this is trash, but God bless everyone that is trying to build something in this direction yeah. because I think they are directionally right. But I think there's going to be an Amazon, there's going to be an eBay, you know, there's going to be a few of these massive companies that do come out of this this window that reminds me a lot of the late 90s. And there's going to be a lot of just carcasses on the train tracks. So I think a lot of a lot of it is just at this point in my in looking at at Web3 day to day, I just see myself feeling like, okay, these are financial engineers. So we talked, you you mentioned just going after vision and not going after results. Yeah. And a lot of people are going after for, I'm going to financially engineer my own billion dollar outcome and I'm going to give it away when I'm 30. And that I think is just, it's a, a really crappy way to build something to impact people's lives. And it comes out through the pores. People feel it, the team members feel it, the customers feel it versus saying, all right, I'm going to build out X because the world needs this. This is going to push it forward. And then, yeah, yeah, finances might be tied to it on the back end. Yeah, it seems though like a shift in society, the way the internet has just impacted us in a completely different way that we live. And depending on, yeah, like you said, what's built on top of that will affect us, I think. And I think we're 10 years out from important things being built on top of it. That, yeah. I think people think that we're, we're seeing it right now and the investments might, it might be a great time to make those investments right now if you're right. But for the most part, like the investors, the entrepreneurs, they were all right in the dot-com bubble, but they yeah. mistimed it. And I right. think directionally, this is the right technological shift. All of my smartest founder friends are all building in Web3. So it is, and that alone gives me a lot of confidence of like, okay, this is going to be the future because a lot of the smartest founders I know are building in this direction. Yeah. But it might be 10 years before yeah. your mom ever benefits from any of these applications that are being right. built in Web3. And I think for a lot of these people are making investments as if, no, 2025, 2026, <laughs> it's going to be a, a long ways off. So in addition to just Web3 startups, when you're either reading a deck, I'm sure you've read through thousands and thousands of decks that people send you, but are you trying to look for any certain thing in particular where if you, you it kind of makes you stop and you think to yourself, I need to put money in this right now? Is 
is that a founder or the product or? Yeah, there's five things. And I think in terms of investing in, and for listeners thinking through, wanting to think through where to put their money in, in 2022, I think the the best asset class performance-wise over the last 10 years will be, I think, similar over the next 10, which is a seed stage startups. And especially if you take the the lens of Peter Thiel, it doesn't matter when you get in, it's just as long as you are in a crazy winner. And I think there's going to be a hundred winners this decade. Like I think, mm. you know, in terms of hundred billion dollar companies started from scratch in the 2000s, there was one with Facebook, really, really just one. Technically, actually Airbnb would be a, a second one, 2009, but that you know barely makes it out. And then in the 2010s, you have, I think we're going to see five to 10 that were started that decade that become $100 billion companies. And I think this decade, mm. we're going to see another 10Xing. I think we're going to see 100X, just as technology is so clearly being adopted by the entire world for all of the right reasons. It is a better product experience. Like um, Airbnb is a good example, actually. Airbnb has this holy trinity for investors, customers, company builders. It is a better product than, you know, if you got three kids, it's better than a hotel room or two hotel rooms. It's a better product. It's less expensive than one or two hotel rooms. Right. And it's more convenient. So a better product that's, that, that is cheaper and more convenient to access, you know, finding an Airbnb versus like, I'm going to book at this Marriott. I don't really know what the view is going to be like, what the room's going to be like versus, you know, Airbnb. That has a trifecta where it's very rare. Like I could start a shoe company tomorrow and it's not going to necessarily be the case that it's going to be better shoes at a cheaper price and it's going to you know, be a, a more convenient customer experience for you. So they have a whole a, this holy trinity and nearly any tech-enabled business that's going to displace an incumbent today that's built on, a, on an old paradigm 10, 20, 30 years back, that if not 50 years back, like, Ford and versus Tesla, right? the mental calculus that I run in my head is, okay, everyone's going to want the product that's a better product, that is a cheaper price and more convenient to access. Okay. How many other industries and major brands will we want over the next 10 years? Will we want technology uh, businesses to replace and do it better? I think there's going to be quite a few of them. So maybe a hundred. So that means that where will the yield be for the next decade. I think it's going to be seed stage startups. I don't think it's going to be web three as a whole. I don't think, I I think it's easier to access web three startups, but I probably make 20% of my investments into, into web three and 80% into good old fashioned seed stage uh, startups. Yeah. And the, the relevance to the listeners would be that there are things like AngelList that allow you to find startups to join syndicates and not right. get too analytical in like, I need it to be at this value. I'd say use a Peter Thiel logic, forget valuation. Just find the best investors you possibly can find and try to back the exact same companies and spread it yeah. out over 10, at least 10 investments. And you're probably gonna, I, I think you'll probably make a decent return. Obviously I can't. Can't say what return, but I think you'll do better than anywhere else. And it's more accessible than it's ever been to to access these these private startups. No doubt. And I asked that 
question about when you're looking through deal flow, because uh, I know you're very passionate about the mental health aspect of our daily lives and in different investments that you have made. Do you put an emphasis on investing in companies, whether their MO is a health company or they even embrace that mentality and, you know, to be physically and mentally healthy? Is that an emphasis yours? A younger me would have said there are certain sectors that I'm looking at that I, and I invest behind domain expertise. Now I actually just, I invest more behind, I actually don't really necessarily want to be an investor in the first company. I think first mover advantage in, in tech investing is often, you know, if you're two years too early, that's just as wrong as being two years too late and you can't time it perfectly. Yep. So what you really want is, I like to almost think about it like a, uh, you have this sphere and you want to be one foot in the now and one foot in the future. Two feet that are just only in the future and it's too futuristic. It just won't, it's not going to have the, um, yeah. it's not going to be conceptually grokked by people. If it's two you know, feet in the past or two feet only in the present, then you're not you know, skating where the puck is going to go. So all of that is to say, now I just think about the problems that I have, that I personally have. And if I see a company and all of us have way more problems than we have domain expertises. And so I think about here's an area in life that I have a, a problem with. I think about the problem. Think about, I'll think about problems and, and think, man, I wish someone would create a startup that did X, Y, or Z. And I just don't have the energy to do it. And then six months, six weeks. Yeah. And then it pops, it pops up. up and I'm like, yeah. Okay, that's not exactly how I do, but and that doesn't really matter because I've been wrong as as much as I've been right as an entrepreneur. That's awesome. I love that they're that they're building in this direction, and this is a smart team. So the five areas that I look for when in making an investment, it's founders, product, growth, their understanding of their growth, and then space. How big is the space? It's a good list. So yeah, I'm happy to go into depth with with those if you want me to outline those further. No, that that's a great list, and I think you know, for people listening, just to be able to focus on certain things to weed out the noise is those, those five points are, are really important. I do got to ask you though, you, you mentioned Peter Thiel missing on Facebook. Did you have a company where you look back and you're like, man, I wish I could do that one over. Yeah. Yeah. It's two, one that I didn't do that I just know is going to be huge. And I invested later. And then one that I did a tiny amount and I look back and there's even a third. So the first is called Mighty. There's a company called Mighty Brilliant Second Time Founder. And in that list of founders, product, growth, understanding of growth, and space. Founder, it's in that order. And I, I rank them one to five. And then I'll invest if it's over a four, if the average is over a four. So some could be a two, some could be a three. Uh, but if it averages over a four, then I'll make the investment. For founders, which is first on that list, if they are, I love second time founders that didn't knock the cover off the ball with their first venture because they're still super hungry, but they just got a PhD in how to build a business. So it's right. Those are my favorite and what not to do. Yeah, exactly. And learned all of the mistakes, made all the mistakes, learned what not to do. So with this company, mighty really smart founder that had built a company called mix panel built a, a unicorn before, but it was also really kind of messy along the way. And we were friends throughout that journey. And I just knew it was really tough. And I mean, he's building a company that now allows you to, will allow you to, it's barely launched. So I can mention this, but the 
public part that I can mention is you basically, what if you could access the world's fastest computer instead of upgrading your laptop every year and a half, two years, you could access it through a browser and all the computing, just like on any website uses the computing in the cloud. Why not use your own computer in the cloud? And it doesn't matter what a remote CPU, exactly remote CPU. And in like a 2022, really badass UI UX version of remote CPU. And it was, that was uh, a company that the founder chatted with me. The mistake I made was he chatted with me and he's like, James, I think I'm, uh, I'm going to build this company. What do you think of this concept? I'm like, man, I love it. Two weeks later, I reach out to him and I said, Hey, what if, uh, what if I wrote you a check? And he said, Oh man, I already did the seed round. I was like, what the hell? You just told me about the idea two weeks weeks ago. And he goes, I know Max Lebchin is one of the co-founders of PayPal. He's like, Max, I heard about it. He loved it. And he just wrote me a, a huge check for the seed round. So that taught me, that taught me a really important lesson. And that's when you're an investor, especially with seed stage deals, your leverage that you think you have on one side of the table can switch yes. on a dime. Nothing is OD. And you have no leverage. No. Two weeks before, I had all leverage. Oh, should I invest? I don't even know if this is a good idea. I got the checkbook. I don't to two weeks later, no leverage. I missed the deal. So that will never, I'm down to make every mistake once. But and that was mighty, you said? Yeah, mighty. And then one that's a bit better known is a company called Cerebral, which is in the mental health space, telemental health company. Massive, massive. They launched right when COVID, two years ago, right when COVID was getting going and, and telemental health, just they talk about hitting a wave. And COVID just made that product five times more. 10 times more valuable in people's lives because no one wanted to go to a doctor's office. Yeah. And the mistake that I had there, that Peter Thiel-esque mistake, I don't, I actually don't, I've never really reflected on, oh, I shouldn't have written a, a check. One time I, I did reflect on, don't write an investment as a favor. Never write an investment as a favor. If I feel like it's getting into favor territory, my antenna needs to Run go away. off of like, do not do it. Be a friend, yeah. be helpful, help them how you can, but- don't write an investment because write a check because you're trying to do a favor. But the main examples that I that I really look at as like financially big mistakes is I don't really I don't mind losing 100k, losing 250k as long as it's in this thesis, this portfolio theory of every company has a chance to be 100x. Right. And and by definition, I'm not going to lose a lot. Two thirds will likely go to zero or or near it. But then for anyone interested, you could do the math and you could see that. It mathematically works out if you're right with a few of them. Right. And out of, let's say, a portfolio of 25 or 50 companies. So I think I'm at maybe a little over 100. And, and the the other lesson that I learned is with this telemental health company called uh, Cerebral. And I asked, I asked the founders to raise a SPV, a special purpose vehicle, and that SPV took me five weeks to close it. And in that time, one of the investors that I pitched it to went around me and invested directly. And so the big mistake there was- oh, That's brutal. Yeah, it was very brutal. Uh, yeah, one of the least ethical things I've seen in my line of work, but it does happen. And one of the things that I learned was, one, don't create a five-week window when, just like with a mighty example- the, your leverage can switch, can change on literally 
a dime. But the, man, I'm using the word literally like a Gen Z, because it's not literally on a dime, metaphorically on a dime. But the other lesson I learned was it is so much better to just have the powder dry, the capital ready to go to make an investment than to play this game with special purpose vehicles, which are funds that you raise just for one specific company for, for listeners. And when you do that and you extend it out for five weeks and you, you can't just write the check right then, then you create the window for someone else to take it and you're educating the market on how great of an opportunity this is. And so then after that, I started to raise my own funds instead of just writing checks. And, Which have been very successful. Yeah, that's, I, it, was, it, was a good, it was a good lesson to learn. But those are the two big, big ones that I look back. And, and it, by the way, once I finally did, was I was able, once I was finally able to write a check into Cerebral, the other mistake I made was I quibbled back and forth on valuation and then ended up with one-fifth the allocation because even quibbling back and forth on valuation with them, it was maybe like I was saying, oh, no, I, I'll make the investment on 80 million. It ended up getting to 100 and by the time I had waited another eight, nine, ten days, that my allocation that fast went from yeah five down to one million. Jeez. Of out, so one fifth the allocation in like eight or nine days. So, okay, I take back when I said I'll only learn a mistake. You know, I'll only make a mistake once. I basically have made this mistake three times of thinking I have leverage and and realizing by thinking I do, I lost it. That's important though to be able to rely back to your core beliefs, those five points you mentioned about, you know, founders, product growth, and et cetera, you got to be able to pull the trigger and trust, you know, the process and not hesitate in certain situations because a week goes by and you're, you're a fifth of the, the valuation. That's nuts. You're, yeah, exactly. And, the, and I, uh, that company is worth over $4 billion now. So that's, um, I calculated how much in returns I missed out on once. And I was like, I'm never calculating that ever again. But that was, and it, and it was so silly because it were, again, it was this was three years after Peter Till told me that, and yet I, I guess I just had to learn it for myself. But the um, those five buckets that I that I go through, yeah, it's, it is part of the process, and you nailed it with the phrase that everyone listening has probably heard. But you have to hear a hundred, a thousand times before it clicks, and it's process is everything. Process over the results. And if you are, if you're thinking about the results, if you are in the place in your life where you're obsessed with the results, that means you do not have a process. So at least there can be some, some light shined on, some insight gained. If you are in the place where I was maybe six, seven years ago in investing, where I was, and even building companies, where I was so concerned with hitting milestones or so concerned when I was building, when building companies in my 20s, I was so concerned with like, we got to hit this this milestone we made by the end of this month, do whatever we can. Now, I, I don't care about those things at all. All I care about is, oh, we're missing certain goals that we laid out. That's our process. That's our process. That's our process. So that's, yeah, that's, that's something that I did not learn. And then it one day it just clicked of like, okay, this is what everyone means by yeah. process is everything. That's such sound advice too. And there's a lot of carryover from athletics where that phrase, trust the process. I mean, it's Nick Saban's, you know, go-to saying, Bill Belichick, everyone kind of in that world where if you do get caught up on being results driven, you lose sight on 
that incremental growth that helps you get better and you miss out along the way on on opportunities to learn. And so trust the process, good sound advice. Yeah, what what's a good example in your career? Because I, I don't know, almost any, no one listening is going to have the athletic experience that you have. So what's an example in your career where you, you applied that, where from the outside looking in, it looked like the results are not what you wanted, but you trusted the process. And it was because you trusted that you come out on the other side and you're like, okay, these results you're seeing have X, they, they're because I'm not thinking about results. Right. I think early on in my NFL career, I wasn't starting, right? I went from playing all four years in high school, started all four years at USC, and I was used to a certain way of learning. And a lot of that maybe unknowingly was results driven because I had success and that's how I kind of based my performance on. But I was thrust into a new way of learning by watching practice, by being in the back and not getting every single rep. And so the first couple of years of my career, my private quarterback coach, Tom House, who's a legend in the space, actually brought this up through one of those tests that kind of assess your, your mental state, not like a Myers-Briggs, but along the same lines for, for sports. And that was like a glaring issue of even in training, like when I was throwing the ball, I was so results-driven, like whether it was a spiral or not, or whether it was perfectly accurate rather than why was that happening? What's the issue that we can correct so it doesn't happen again? And it was a process I had to work through uh, over the next couple of years, but definitely understood the value of trusting the process and not being results-driven because you can get so caught up and lose sight of goals and only focus on you know things that you ultimately will fail on, right? Even if you have success a couple of times, if you keep being results-driven, you're going to fail yourself. And so accepting that and being able to move forward, you know, through failure and still finding, you know, ways to learn from those mistakes, I think will get everyone, you know, everyone around you as a quarterback, you know, it gets everyone around you in a better place too. So, yeah, well, I think that the, well, the length of your career also, it also is, it's a testament to the fact that you, somewhere along the line, you learn, I think one of the, one of the ways that Biz Stone, who's a co-founder of Twitter, who's on my podcast recently, and he said, yeah, my byline should be Oscar-winning supporting actor. And and I'm not in, in no way uh, diminishing your ability to be an amazing quarterback on the field, but along the way, you, you, learned, yeah. you learned how to be this locker room all-star that yep. helps with the entire offensive flow in a way that a coach can't do it, in a way that a starter can't, that's, you know, just on the field, you're seeing things that they can't see. And, and so that, I think it's been a huge testament. Every team you've been on, that's one of the biggest parts of your reputation. And I think that that is, you know, I had the seemingly sad admission probably two years ago where I was like, I think I'm a better investor than founder. Damn it. I wish I was a better founder. But then I realized- that, goes, that, that might go back to your, you know, innate roles and the gifts that who, of who you are and right. pressing into those gifts, not trying to be something you're not. Exactly. That it, it couldn't be more of the right way of looking at it because it's that's that's the lens where it's the whole question should be where can I be most useful? Not where can I make the most money, not where can I get the most admiration, name, fame, st- status, you know, admiration from the other sex. All of that is totally 
silly in comparison and, and energy dissipating comparing it to the energy generating work of answering this question each day of where can I be most useful? Yeah. Where can I be? Okay. Where can I be most uniquely useful yeah. with how I'm wired? And, and mine seems to be investing, being a, a, an all-star or Oscar winning supporting actor instead of being, you know, the best lead. And I won. I love it because it is energy generating versus my twenties, just attempt after attempt to build. It was so energy, energy uh, draining and dissipating, but also it's, it was, I think this aspect that allowed me to see these quote unquote results without even thinking about them because I was so energized by the actual work that it, it becomes really right. easy to say, all right, I'm not results driven because I actually just, there. this isn't a means to an end. The means for me, the energy I feel when I'm encouraging a founder, that is, that is the end that I'm looking for, you know, when I yeah. get out of bed and I, yeah. and I love that. And then- you wake up and someone calculates your IRR and you're like, oh. Okay. You got a unicorn at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, <laughs> I guess comparatively I'm decent at this. Pushing your strengths, trust the process. Love that. Yeah. And God, if anyone takes anything away from this episode, it is, why do I keep hearing people talk about this? And even if you don't believe it, just start to etch on a napkin. Okay, I'm so results-oriented. And that guy, James, said that probably means that I don't have a process. Because when you do start to etch it out on a napkin, when you do start to pay a little bit more attention to it, it becomes even more addictive than the result orientation because it's it's yeah. shit you can actually control. Smart. That is wise. Wise from experience, James. And for our last segment, a lot of scars. from our last segment as we transition, I just want to Put together something that was right up your alley, okay? And I know we've talked about your investments and your products. <laughs> so I went to the product pitches subreddit. I found some gold, absolute gold in there. So I'm going to pitch you. All right. I'm going to pitch you seven products now, okay? And you have to tell me if you okay. are investing or taking a pass. Ready? Okay. Shabani yogurt syrup. This is essentially the syrup in Shabani Greek yogurt, but in a maple syrup bottle, so you could pour it on top of things. Invest or pass? Invest. <laughs> I would invest. If it's coming from Shabani, I'd invest. If you got to start from scratch, supply chain and everything, and one day on a Tuesday, Shabani just decides to do the same thing, and they have all of those, those pieces of leverage, no. But if Shabani was like, hey, we're going to spin out an, a separate company that's going to do this, I would invest in that all day long. They're doing the right things. All right, number two. Yeah, dude, I, that's actually that's a great idea. Like, that's a problem that I have. I would love a little bit of yogurt on granola. <laughs> He's in. I don't need a whole lot. <laughs> that's great. He's in. All right, number two. The million dollar hoodie. This is a plain black hoodie with white text that says, yes, I paid a million dollars. It also has a QR code that someone could scan to verify that you paid a million dollars and therefore you are rich. And they could then bid to buy the hoodie from you for more than a million. This is like an NFT sweatshirt. Or remember that app that you bought for like a thousand dollars and it was just there to say that you bought it for Yeah, the diamond yeah. or something. So I mean are you are you investing in the million dollar sweatshirt or are you passing? No, I'm passing. Because it's not the number, it's the trend. And the trend of that getting cool over time is gonna be really low. It's uh, that's going to become less cool. It might be, it might have some shock and awe to it, but 
it is going to have less value in five years versus more. And it's it's not worth investing in things that are going to have less value in five years than, than more. No, it's not. No. Good call. I'm passing too. Number three, reverse flavored Oreos. Vanilla cookies with chocolate cream in the middle. No. I'm going to pass. And it, there's no super smart analysis other than, and this is how I analyze like almost any startup, other than <laughs> it's all about the mouthfeel. And I actually don't think soft to hard is a very good mouthfeel versus I love an Oreo because it is hard and then you get a nice return on your texture and your bite investment. Texture is a large portion of if a food's good or not, in my mind. Yeah, big time. And I think soft and hard, are there any uh, foods that are soft and then hard? <laughs> I don't know. That's another That's another thing that I, that is worth writing down if people are interested in these, these mental models. It's called the Lindy effect. And Lindy effect is basically like, if it was hip uh, 400 years ago, it's probably going to be hip in 20, 40, you know, it's going to be in the next 10, 20, 30. So finding things that have always been around or that humans have always been fascinated with is actually a really good heuristic to, to make an investment. And so if something is like the first of its kind on too many dimensions, then it probably actually doesn't live up to the Lindy effect and isn't a great investment. All right. So no reverse Oreos. Number four, a closet with a built-in heat lamp to keep your clothes nice and toasty. It's kind of hard to envision that living in Southern California, but I've spent my time in Buffalo, Chicago. Okay, those winters are cold. Would you like to have just heated clothes when you put them on on a frosty winter morning? I'm neutral on that. I would pass because I don't have I don't have enough of the customer problem to be able to evaluate it. So you tell me, having lived in those places. It's not that much of a drawback to where I would need a product to heat my clothes. Yeah, I would feel like if you need to heat it, if your clothes are so cold, then you'd probably be better served by just central heat in your apartment or your home. And then the nice thing about that is you get decently warm clothes built in. I think I'm passing too on the, the heat lamp for the closet. Number five. A moving sidewalk obstacle course. All right, this guy wants to replace all the sidewalks with the moving ones from the airports. All right, and I guess you you put up a bunch of obstacles and avoid things, and it gives you a little extra maybe focus because a lot of people are not watching where they're going in the airport. I mean, you got to jump over stuff to earn points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you investing, you passing. Completely passing. Hardware in general is a pain <laughs> in the ass, and and it's it, that is a such a hilarious idea to think about but there hopefully is something something of a takeaway here and that hardware is so hard so many things can go wrong imagine just five blocks of a of something like that where you just have probably every single day between the people walking and the gadgets on the obstacle course you have 500 different variables where if one thing goes wrong like the whole thing can you know can be stopped like a like you know traffic on the highway so i I'd say I'd pass so fast on that. Even though it sounds fun, I could get behind the uh, the entertainment value, but I'd rather entertain people with software that you can deploy globally. You don't have 100, 500 variables interacting with it each day that can stop it up and you could fix it, you know, deploy new code instantaneously with a fix versus, all right, we'll send our repair guy back out there. He'll get there tomorrow at five. Yeah. 
Yeah. Back to the airport. <laughs> yes. Hard pass. All right, number six. I mean, this this product pitches subreddit. You gotta, we gotta pick it up, boys. Uh, the the automatic bench press. Okay, this is set up like a regular bench press, but you don't have to actually lift the bar. You just push a button. The bar lifts itself, but it gives you a number based on how hard you pushed the button. All right, this is an actual pitch. Okay, this number is how much you can bench press. Not sure why the bar is even there. I mean, but to be honest, whatever. Uh, are you investing? Are you passing? <laughs> passing too complicated for me to understand why I'd want it. And by definition, if the founder can't make it super simple, then every customer that you're going to need word of mouth from, they're not going to be able to simplify it down, even if they love it. So pass. And it's hardware. So another pass. (laughs) All right. Last one. Number seven. All right. Last one. A poncho with a drawstring at the bottom. So if you don't feel like dealing with someone, you can pull the string and it turns into a huge bubble that surrounds you so they can't even talk to you. I mean, I don't know if we're still doing six feet of distance. That seems like an application, but invest or pass. Yeah, that's a good COVID. Um, uh, probably, well, definitely pass for sure. Definitely pass. But uh, probably the reason being similar to the, the closet heater. I just don't, it's not a problem I've had. And so it's hard for me to evaluate them. It's not... There are so many businesses that are going to be amazing businesses, and I pass on because I didn't have the problem. But I, it makes it in, nearly impossible for me to evaluate the solution if I myself don't have the problem. So I don't even know if that really solves the problem for the people that have that uh, that that particular problem. I love that analytical answer for a drawstring poncho hypothetical product. That was perfect. Well, one for seven. Hey, I'm just trying to help subreddit. I, I learned so much from Reddit. I'm glad. Uh, I hope if this gets back to any of those folks, they I'm able to give back. That's true. One for seven. That's kind of indicative of maybe companies that hit maybe even a little high. Uh, but the Chobani syrup, we have a winner, hopefully. And I'll tell this to uh, to to any listeners that are pitching the world's greatest close rate in, in a, a sales team. Let's say you're like the best closer at Salesforce. Your close rate is going to be anywhere from 6 to 15%. At 15%, if you are an absolute killer. So that means 85% of the time when you're pitching your business, you're going to get no's, even if you are an absolute killer. So go into those, talk about building process. Build out the process where you know that, okay, 85% of people won't get this. If I can get close 15%, I'm killing it. And that means that you put 30 meetings down on the calendar and you get five saying yes. That's that's all you need. You don't you don't care that twenty five no's rack up. So who am I to that to the person building that self isolation poncho? You know, I'm just one no. Yeah, dude. I know you got to run. Thank you so much. I know I learned a lot, and everyone listening better have learned a lot because there was a lot of juicy knowledge in there. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it, James. Well. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, buddy. I look forward to coming back on the podcast and, and talking about which applications do become the killer applications for, for Web3. I think that remains to be seen, but I think we all, the ones that care and are curious about the space, know that they are they are coming. We'll have to circle back, too, and see see how your picks are done. We'll talk. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much to James Bashara for joining me today and talking about investing. 
If you guys enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review or subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Barkley, and this has been Making Bread.